welcome to another episode of Citing the Tone, an ER retrospective, the show where we do a chronological breakdown of every episode of our favorite TV medical drama. My name is Elizabeth, and joining me today, as always, are Lauren. Hello. And Daniel. Hey. Today we'll be discussing Season 4, Episode 11, which is titled Think Warm Thoughts. The episode aired on January 8th, 1998. Lauren, what was going on that week 23 years ago? I had to think about that for a second. Oh my god, you're right. Okay, 23 years ago. This is a doozy because we've got some of the big New Year's news coming up, so bear with me, gang. On December 19th, MTV debuts the controversial music video for Prodigy's Smack My Bitch Up. The video would be permanently pulled from the rotation three days later. Why? Uh, apparently it features a lot of like drug use, violence. Uh, uh, smacking bitches up? Actually, yes. <laughs> Not great. <laughs> Um, Chicago Bulls coach Phil Jackson becomes the fastest coach to win 500 NBA games. He accomplished this feat after coaching only 682 games total. Will Smith and Jada Pinkett tie the knot on New Year's Eve 1997. The duo are still together to this day and have two children together, Jaden and Willow. Which, did you guys see um, Willow's music video that she put out? No. She's apparently a musician. I knew she was very, a musician. Very, but yeah, I it's very is it, Paramore. Is it just a cover? Is it just a Paramore-style cover of uh, Big Willie style? I wish. That would be amazing. <laughs> but no, it's actually like pretty good. I highly recommend you look into it. Um, White House intern Monica Lewinsky signs an affidavit declaring that she did not have an affair with President Bill Clinton. The boat cannot and will not be stopped for months as Titanic debuts in theaters just before Christmas 1997 and sets up shop at the number one spot at the box office. Other films to debut over the holidays include Tomorrow Never Dies, Jackie Brown, and Mouse Hunt. And Am I the only one who watched Mouse Hunt? No, I, I saw Mouse Hunt as in the theaters. Thank you very much. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, we my, were... my mom loves Nathan Lane. Yeah. So it was one of the great. acceptable movies I could rewatch all the time. Yeah. And we were the target demographic age-wise. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. eight to, we were literally six to ten. Yeah. So, yeah, perfect. And New Year, same song, Candle in the Wind, 1997, Something About the Way You Look Tonight by Elton John continues its run atop the music charts. Daniel, what else is on? Yeah, what else is on? At 8 p.m., Friends with the episode The One with Phoebe's Uterus. I'm assuming we're at the point in the show where she's giving birth to twins. Uh I'm pretty, or is it, is it twins or triplets? I can't remember. She she had a lot of kids at some point um, as a surrogate. Uh, but at 8.30 p.m., Union Square, still hanging on even after the new year with the episode What Are Friends For? At 9 p.m., Seinfeld with the episode The Dealership. And at 9.30 p.m., Veronica's Closet with the episode Veronica's Got a Secret. Uh, this week's episode had 32.2 million viewers tuning in. Is directed by Charles Hayde, doing his third out of seven episodes he would do over the course of the series. Um, this is his first time, though, since the episode Happy New Year, all the way back in season one. So it's been a been a while for Charles, um, but he's back this week. Uh, and this week's episode is written by David Mills, doing his second of four episodes. Previous one of his from this season we did was Good Touch, Bad Touch. And our previously on ER this week is brought to us by Carol. And we actually opened the episode proper with Carol as well. She's headed out of the house. Uh, Doug is asking about them setting a date for their wedding. And he quick stops her to get her ring size, which <laughs> it's the, like the most old timey looking set of things. Well, that's like it's a janitor's keys looking thing. <laughs> it's got yeah. all the keys yeah, on it's, the ring. It's, yeah, it's the jewelry store method where they've got like all the different actual like sample ring sizes compared to what you have, which is the adjustable one that you just yeah. put on the. But finger. like, how do you get one of those? Like, I'm sh- like, do they just? I'm I'm assu- 
assuming they don't just give those out at jewelry stores like and there's no they Amazon could. there's no Amazon at this point or if there is it's only selling books so it's like how is maybe he... maybe some jewelry stores stocked them and you could buy them for yeah, like 20 bucks maybe uh, people who were getting engaged or married well before we were even old enough to watch Mouse Hunt, please tell us how the heck would you get this industrial ring sizer? Uh, but she's but Carol's not worried about the big wedding stuff, and she's like, why can't we just be two people who are going to get married? Yeah, yeah Lauren. Capitalism. That's true. Um, and also, I want to point out that she kind of she's a little hesitant about it, kind of with the history of tag and being left at yeah. the altar and everything. So she's like, I don't really want a big wedding. That's fair. Yeah, there's there might be a little a little trauma in there, just a little. Then we see Carrie and Ellis are outside of presumably Carrie's apartment, jumping a car, and as they're getting the cables out, he makes a joke about her using the battery clamps on his nipples, and ooh, saucy, they're making out by the cars as they work on getting things fixed. They both go into their separate cars to work on the jump, and he calls her on her giant cell phone. <laughs> While they're jumping their cars, and they have very awkward flirting over their giant cell phones, saying things like, oh, Carrie Weaver, you bad, bad girl. Just, hmm. Hmm, Carrie. That saucy, clancy brown voice. Yep, mm-hmm. So, things, things are still great, and they're still in that honeymoon phase. And then we go on to Rocket and Lizzie coming into the office, and Rocket makes an awkward flirtation towards Lizzie about her car. And she's like, oh, you know, American made, you can't get any better than that. And she goes, or, and he goes, oh, if I'd known that was your car, I would have stopped and smelled the tailpipe. Nope. Gross. Not, not great there. Nope. Nope. Um, but then they're, they go on to argue about what the best course of action is for Allison for her, um, vocal cord reconstruction and her, you know, therapy to get her speech back. And then we are in with the bangs. It's still no twinkles. Still Still no no twinkles. twinkles. Um, can I ask you a small question? Why do you prefer to refer to him in, as Rocket in the I don't know. In the notes. Uh, I don't know. It might be a typing thing. I don't know. It's just interesting to me. It's it's just like with Keaton when I put Abby and you guys would freak out. Okay, well, that's different. Okay, I'm, I'm just that's saying. a little bit different, but yeah. but no, I no, think I think it's because we often hear um, him referred to more as Rocket or Robert than we do as Romano right now. Okay. So like when Lizzie's talking about him or when characters are addressing him, they'll usually say Rocket or Robert. So that's usually just what's on my mind when we're He's just so hard coded in my mind as Romano that it's just I, I just tend to go with what's what's in my brain at the flow of the episode. I figure we all know character names enough to where it's not that hard. But I'm sorry if it throws you off. <laughs> no, it's just it's just odd to me. And I was curious as to what No, you're... there's there's absolutely no rhyme or reason. I think it's just because that's typically what we hear more throughout the episodes right early on. So that I'll probably switch it up. It'll probably be Romano <laughs> okay. in like three episodes. Okay. Um, but getting back to the actual episode, uh, we have we come back from the intro with a guy attacking a vending machine uh, and a woman screaming to keep this cracker under control. <laughs> you Which tell, is fair. You tell him, lady. Uh, dude... Like, I think, like, the, the vending machine ate his money, and he's just going, like, full roid rage. Just well, yeah. rawr on it. And, and he's got the cut-off t-shirt, and yeah. it's all dirty, and... Ugh. Man, Randy does give him his money back, just, just to shut him the hell up. Yep. And who are our characters here? Yeah, so our woman screaming, uh, Carlene, as we find out her name is, uh, <clears throat> she's played by actress Telma Hopkins, who was most famous for playing the aunt on Family Matters, uh, Rachel Crawford. Hmm. Um... 
and our thirsty guy, as I wrote him here before he <laughs> before he gets into AIM a little bit later in the episode, John. Uh, he's a definite oh hey it's that guy mm-hmm. uh, Brad William Henke most famous for playing uh, Officer Piscatella on Orange is the New uh. Black uh, as well as the miniseries The Stand and the movie Split yeah I will say um, about halfway through the episode when he's actually talking to Randy a little bit later on mm-hmm. is when I realized who he was Yep, I didn't even realize it at all and without the facial hair it's really hard okay. but when you when you actually like imagine him with a beard You'll A, have chills down your spine because you'll remember he's the worst villain on Orange is the New Black and the most hated character ever. And then B, you'll go, oh, M-O-O-N, that spells vending machine falling on your legs, the stand for Tom Cullen. Oh, Oh yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. He's he's Tom okay, Cullen. That's who he was. On he, he's the disabled gentleman. We still need to finish that. Yes, we yep. do. Any Stephen King fans out there, write me on our Facebook page because I will always talk about more Stephen King. I love you. But yeah, uh, very like like Laura was saying, very hard to recognize him here without the face. He, and he's a baby, baby too. Like you can tell, he's mm-hmm. a lot younger here. So um, he looks like those. He looks like those younger pictures of Abraham Ben Ruby. Yeah, like when you see and him he's without facial similar, hair, and then later on, similar build yeah. too. Like he's about Jerry's size. And um, I even second guessed myself a couple times as I was watching. I was like, he looks a lot like that this guy, but I'm not sure if that's who it is. And then once I finished watching, I went back and double checked, and sure enough, it was him. So, but we go from there. We see uh, Mark talking to Chuni, uh, telling her that he's trying to quit smoking. And as they're walking up to the admit desk, we get the return, the much anticipated return of one Wild Willie, uh, Michael Ironside, coming all the way back from late season one to rejoin us here he is one of the the, uh synergix attendings and will be kind of camped out in the er for the rest of this episode does not get to spoilers does not get to do as much in this episode as i remembered and i was very sad about that like i seem to remember him having a bigger role in this one-off and he really doesn't now i cheered when i saw him come on i i actually literally hey he's back Mm -hmm. oh yeah i did too i i've been i've been anticipating this since he left pretty much like i've He's, you know, we, we kind of talked this to death when he was on the show originally, but like he's, I think, one of the big like what ifs, you know, could have been should have been of the whole series of like, man, what if they'd have had a chance to really flesh his character out and really make him something special? I think we could have really had something cool with Wild Willie. But um, somebody write me a fan fiction where he becomes chief of the ER and all of our problems are solved. Yeah, like let him fill the ants ball role for a while. Like, let's see what that looks yeah. like. But uh, it's so cool, too, that they they there's not really, like, a big, like, oh, hey, remember you or remember me? Like, they trust the mm-hmm. audience enough to remember who he is, and they let him and Mark just kind of fall back into their previous yeah, dynamic. They just they just pick up. Yeah, he's like, oh, hey, Dr. Swift. And he's like, hey, Mark Green, good to see you. Like, and then it's, you know. You look like shit. Yeah, he's like, yeah. He's like, I saw you on that documentary. You look like shit. Uh, you letting this job get to you. So it's just, it's very cool the way they did that. Um, but while they're talking, they get interrupted because vending machine guy, Piscatella has now, uh, knocked over the vending machine successfully. Uh, and then we cut over and see Carter talking to a group of med students in a classroom about their third year choices. Uh, the students <laughs> predictably ask, God. ask the, the only thing they want to know is if, if people shove, shove things up, uh, their rectums and what specifically, do they shove up their rectums? Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe he says a bowling trophy is the most uh, was the weirdest, the weirdest one. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 
Um, then they want to know if he's ever killed anyone. And he starts talking about the elderly man that he killed when putting in the chest tube, an actual case that we actually covered, which I thought was another really nice little continuity touch that it's like Bill, right? Something like that. I mean, it wasn't like a, like yeah. it wasn't a, a Ruby level situation where yeah. it got a big name and a big deal, but it was so cool that like, even though there wasn't, uh, it, it didn't really extend beyond that episode. They still thought it was important enough to right. have it as part of his canon. I, I thought that was cool. It's 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 the one where Harper and he go to the bar afterwards with the liver. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So real yeah. early season two stuff. So I just thought that was cool. Um, and then we see one of the students uh, asking why he swapped out surgery for ER, and he gives a very Carter answer to all of that. So, but the the Carter with the students thing is going to kind of come up again and again in this episode. Uh, but for now, we'll go back up to the administrative floor, I guess. Is this, is and Spa's like office. Yeah. Is this just like a whole administrative floor? No, or is I, it just, I think, I most think hospitals, he's got an office. Most hospitals, I think, do have a, an administrative floor. I think it's where they put like billing yeah. and risk management and legal and all that stuff. Like, I've always pictured Ann Spa's office as like part of the surgical wing. It could be. It could very well be. For some reason, that's always where I like put him in my head cannon of the hospital as he's just like off the wing there but either way synergix is trying to get a little more serious about their relationship so let's listen in if we can have this kind of impact in a limited role i'd like to suggest the idea of overall contract management you can take off your tap shoes dr west from the time we met i assumed your long-range goal was to take over the er i'm surprised only by your timing can i have a moment with carrie certainly let me just say that it's part of my nature to move quickly when something feels right. I gotta say, Don, I've been just blown away by these numbers. What are they saying about SPG in the trenches? I haven't heard any complaints. Mark Green would support their taking over? It would change the way you do business down there. We haven't discussed it. Well, the feelings of the rest of the staff are something I would... Need to find out before raising it with the board. Because you know what the American healthcare system needs? More corporations? Yeah, more privatization <laughs> yeah. of public resources. Let's just keep on privatizing until we can't no more. Also, also, nobody raises the issue about Carrie and Ellis clearly being literally in bed together on this. Except for Ellis. Like, he's not very subtle. Like, he keeps looking at, well, he keeps he likes, looking at her every time he makes a weird double entendre, and it's just yeah. like, ugh. He likes to move quickly. Hmm. But I'm saying, like, nobody like Anspa or Mark But I mean, I don't know. Anybody they've been really... kind of, I don't feel like, I don't, I don't feel like they've been, like, very overly clandestine about it, but I also don't think they're, at, like, like, I don't know, like, I don't know that it's an open secret, you know? Like, I don't know that it is public information like that. I I don't know. They were pretty cozy outside during that Christmas episode that is when true. everybody was looking at the tree. That is true. When everybody was outside. Yeah. Like, he was, like, holding her. That's true. Yeah. So, I don't know. It, but it, you're right, though. It is definitely a little bit of a conflict of interest. So, mm. we'll see where this goes. Yep. Um, then we have Wild Willie examining vending machine guy John, a.k.a. Tom Cullen, a.k.a. Piscatelli. And Wild Willie is talking about being an SPG attending and how the hours and everything are way better than working standard hospital hours because they're fixed. You know, he works his 40 hours and goes home. No worrying about being late for dinner, all that, and how great it is. And then he goes on to tell Mark that he, if he wants to really quit smoking, he has to detox. And then he says something like, um, 
not enemas, but he says some like colon cleansing is really the oh, way yeah, to go if yeah. he wants to detox quickly. Yeah. So some some hippy dippy shit about like get the toxins out of your system. Come on, man. You mean changing the flora of my rectum really matters? Is that what I mean, you say? It probably does help, but <laughs> let's never have the phrase flora of my rectum on this show ever again if we can help it. Oh, trust me, we'll have plenty of hippy dippy bullshit later on. Ugh. Plenty plenty of patience bringing up hippy dippy bullshit. So so my only my only problem with this is how would you how could you possibly ever hope in an ER management role to just have a fixed time where you peace out? Like what if you're in the middle of a trauma? I think the implication like, I think the implication is that they would have enough staff like with the rotating right. attendings that there would always be somebody to take over like to jump in yeah but it is a little bit like sounds too good to be true and yeah well and that that does come up a little bit later in the episode when mark is working on a trauma yeah and kind of how how willie approaches it versus how mark does for the for time to go but for now let's go up to the surgical floor uh lizzie is checking in on allison and allison you know has lost the use of her vocal cords uh, since they're paralyzed and she's using a sweet <laughs> gateway 2000 laptop man i had a gateway 2000 branded computer. i wonder <laughs> i wonder if it's got one of the little mouse nubs i i, I don't know but she's using a uh, yeah but allison here is using a text-to-speech program to because uh, obviously no voice so um, and they are talking about emailing versus stationary and internet dating. And Lizzie's very old school. Um, this just this was one of those things that really made me kind of have cultural whiplash. Where I think now as adults we really take advantage of how quickly technology kind of advanced from when we were let's say eight to when mm-hmm. we were fifteen, and just all of a sudden like no emailing just became a thing. Yeah. You know, like it was, yeah. we didn't even bat an eye by the time we were teenagers about like, yeah, I'll email you. Yeah. Or like, I aming. This is, this is, yeah, and- the last, the last time I wrote a letter to someone was like the third grade. I do love getting and receiving actual physical mail. Um, shout out to our, our special patron who does send us cards and they make us so happy here <laughs> at STT Studios. But in general, yeah, I'm just, I just can't be bothered. It's just so much easier to just text somebody. Or you know, eat, or send them a quick message on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Yeah, from a top but. like top down view, this episode is, I think, one of the most like in a bottle. Like you can tell how far things have come. Like you got Carrie and Ellis's giant cell phones at the very beginning. You have yep. this whole conversation surrounding not only the the laptop itself, but just the whole like, oh, email that's new and scary, and you know, internet dating and all this other, you know, back when internet dating was just literally like chat rooms and stuff, like no pictures, right. no like, it's much more wild west. Um, and what we're gonna get a little bit later, like this is the most 1998 episode imaginable, and it's the very first one. Like that's, I think that's pretty cool. How many marriages were born from the phrase ASL? Oh, God. Yikes. Uh, So we we go from there back to the classroom where we see Benton uh, talking with a student about surgery. Uh, Student's name is Laura Brown. And as they're walking out of the classroom, Carter is filling up uh, his water bottle or getting a drink of water or something. She recognizes Carter from the documentary, a.k.a. the live episode. 
again nice little continuity beats sticking through here um and laura brown here gets a lot of FaceTime in this episode for a character who really doesn't go anywhere this is her only episode and i don't know if there was maybe plans to maybe have her come in as a student at some point and those never materialized or what but even benton says as she walks away after her first appearance carter was like oh is she interested in surgery or whatever and he's like benton goes yeah i think she's gonna be somebody he literally says i think she's gonna be somebody and then she's nobody <laughs> like i just thought that was very funny like that they they went to all the trouble of like establishing this character and establishing this actress uh sarah hudnut brody by the way is the actress's uh name um and then really doesn't go anywhere she's gone by the end of this episode and we never see her again so just thought that was interesting uh, and Carter and Benton just kind of commiserating about how much talking to the students suck and how much they uh, they got roped into doing this by Romano. So, um, And then from there, we have Carrie telling Mark that SPG may be taking over for management, you know, depending on how everything goes. And Mark's a little hesitant. He's like, you know, I'd have to really think about that. Like, that's that's a lot to kind of spring on you at once. And then all of a sudden we see Yosh has brought in Christmas cookies for everyone because he loves winter and he loves Christmas and he's so sad for the Christmas season to end. So he he brought treats in. Everybody talks about how nice and sweet Yosh is and it's just very sweet. Because he is. He's a de- and delightful see, little cinnamon roll. He is. He's so great. Protect Yosh at all costs. And then we have Carlene in chairs is still complaining about not being seen and she and Chuni have this really just fun little back and forth sass master moment and it's just you can tell she's a frequent flyer in there and just the way she, the way the staff interacts with her is really great and uh vending machine guy has apologized to uh randy for how he acted and asked if he can call her and surprisingly randy seems interested after he tells her that he spent time in prison yeah she's like starting she rolls her eyes at him at first and then he mentions you know oh and i just have to be honest about this i have spent time in prison but i do have a good job now so like income's not a problem. I'm I'm on this. I'm getting on the straight and narrow. The minute he says prison, she's like, "Well, oh. okay." <laughs> they can talk about the time they've done together. And then we then we get possibly the weirdest like one off patient of the episode. Uh, Carol is working with a clinic patient. Uh, this like kind of almost Santa Claus looking guy who is uh, keeps a mouse living in his beard. This patient. You say Santa Claus. I thought ra- uh, Rasputin. <laughs> I mean, what are Santa Claus yeah. and Rasputin if not one and the same? You know, like that's fair. It, it was just a very strange one-off kind of comedy patient that doesn't really go anywhere. They don't really do anything with it. It's kind of just an excuse for Carol to be doing something when her mom shows up. But just thought it was interesting. Uh, but as I said, Carol's mom then stops by, she's standing on the, so they're in that little like sideways exam room. So the door is kind of at an angle and Carol's mom is like Mm -hmm. militantly standing with like her hands on her hips on the other side of the door. Like, you know, just very, the, the very severe tone that Carol's mom always sets. Um, but she's, Carol's like, what are you doing here? And she says that Doug stopped by to ask for Carol's hand in marriage. And oops, Carol had not gotten around to telling her mom that they were even seeing each other again, much less engaged. Oopsies. Whoopsies. And Spa then stops by to talk to Mark. And we find out that his son, Scott, first mention of Scott, uh, who was treated for lymphoma 10 months ago, uh, and he's going to be bring he's being brought into the ER uh, for an examination for abdominal pain. 
and they're doing this kind of on one side of the ER and Carrie is kind of observing from the other side thinking that they are talking about the SPG contract and she's getting a little bit paranoid about what it is they're talking about. Uh, and through the course of this conversation, we also find out that Anspaugh's wife died last year. So we're getting a little bit more backstory on Anspaugh and his kind of family life and everything. Uh, kind of a, seems like a kind of a tragic backstory for, for uh, Dr. Anspaugh here. Loses his wife last year and his son is recovering from cancer, possibly having a recurrence here. Who knows? Like it's rough going for Anspaugh. And Mark asked Jeannie to help out on the case because um, he thinks she can be a good friendly face for him uh scott is none too thrilled about having to come to the hospital over an upset stomach and he's so edgy (laughs) he does do a really good job playing like a bratty 10 year old yeah no i I like scott i like the actor here uh trevor morgan who you may recognize from stuff like the certainly what i recognized him from because i was the age group for it the disney channel original movie genius uh, the sixth sense where he played a detestable little bully child fucking hated him in that movie once I just read that and I was like, holy shit, he is the bully kid in Sixth yep. Sense. He is a quite the little shithead in the Sixth Sense, but he does a good job at it. Uh, the Patriot mm-hmm. and uh, Jurassic Park 3. And this is his first of five appearances uh, that he'll be making. And uh, yeah, I, I really like Trevor Morgan as an actor. Yeah. I think he does a good job with this role. I think he um, kind of... He ver- he portrays the, the kind of frustration and, uh, and the like the angst that this kid obviously must have over having to have spent so much time in hospitals and be poked and prodded. And like, he's had to grow up so fast and it's just, he, he gets that across very, very well. And also too, it was nice to finally yeah. dr- make those connections and draw, draw some of those parallels from when we talked to Gloria Rubin, cause she singled out Trevor Morgan yeah. as one of the people that she really remembered working with. And you know, that he was a fun kid to be around and, uh, I think she said he had a crush on one of the nurses or something like that was that was her big thing her big memory of him but yeah just thought it was cool side note am i one of like three people in the world that actually really enjoyed the movie the patriot no i like it i don't know that i've ever seen that's because jason isaacs jason isaacs is a detestable villain and i love him so it's it's roland emmerich so it's just like so ridiculously over the top (laughs) it's 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 fun is the wrong word yeah, fun. it's not fun. If you like super extra historical films, it's yeah. a good one. It's Mel Gibson acting to the rafters. <laughs> so every Mel Gibson movie? <laughs> oh, but even by Mel Gibson it's, standards. It's an event. Like, you have Mel Gibson in, like, Signs, and then you have Mel Gibson in this fucking movie. <laughs> Fair enough. I do not hate The Patriot. Then we see Carol is calling Doug to get a hold of him about what her mom came in to discuss, because... Carol's got some words for Doug about that. Can't find, can't get a hold of him. Not great. Um, Ann Spa says hi to Scott as Scott's being brought in and tells him like, oh, you know, Mark's one of our best. We'll take good care of you. Um, Scott shows a bunch of attitude to his dad and says that he only threw up because of the shitty seafood they had the night before. So thanks, dad. Like not, he's not sick. He's not, he feels fine. He just threw up because they ate crappy food is what he said. Um, and then Mark mentions like, oh, we'll just take a CBC basic panel, whatever. And he freaks out. He's like, nope, you're not coming anywhere near me with needles. Don't even mention it. You're not touching me. No needles. One, one, not taking my blood. One other thing about Scott here that I forgot to mention or forgot to like ask earlier. Like, obviously we never got to see Mrs. Anspaugh, so we don't know what she looks like. But it is a little hard to believe that this child is 
Donald Anspaugh's. Like, <laughs> the casting a is bit. a little bit, like, disparate. It's like, mm, you have nothing to do with the genetic makeup of this child at all. But <laughs> and, and also very young for yeah. how old you think Anspaugh is. Because you figure Anspaugh here is probably, what, early 50s? Mid 50s, probably. Yeah. yeah, 50 to 55, somewhere, somewhere in there. there. And Scott is, what, 11, 12? Yeah, 10, 10 or 11. Yeah, I so, I mean, I don't know. I guess that puts him in his early 40s to late 30s maybe it gets yeah i was gonna say my dad had me when i was when he was 43 yeah my mom was 41 when she had me so yeah yeah my my dad was 40 my mom was 36 sorry mom (laughs) (laughs) oh whatever some people care about their age being disclosed my dad's an old man and always has been i love your dad and Uh, his jokes at least one of us does um, but for our next audio clip here, Dr. Corday is out and about looking for a doctor she hopes can help Allison with her vocal cords. Excuse me, I'm trying to locate Dr. Kotlovitz. I'm Dr. Corday from County General. Dr. Corday! Yes? Hi. I just wrote you a note. I'm sorry you came all this way. I've been called away on a consult. David Kotlovitz. Elizabeth Corday. Hi. If I could just have one minute, I can do quite a bit of persuading in that time. I'll give you two. Why don't you walk with me? Oh, that's terrific. As I said on the phone, my heart goes out to Miss Bowman. It was a devastating accident. Yes, Alison's quite lucky to be alive. But she has an extraordinary spirit, which is why I ask you simply to see her, examine her. And agree to do a medialization thyroplasty for free. Well, her insurance won't cover it, apparently. So, uh, yes, I suppose that is what I'm asking. And why would I do that? Believe me, if you meet Alison, you'll want to do the procedure. Well... I'm headed to your part of town right now. You you know that I don't have privileges at County General. Yes, but any bureaucratic matters, I'm sure that Dr. Romano can help straighten out. And you're speaking on Robert Romano's behalf? No, I'm speaking on Alison Beaumont's behalf. Well, first off, who plays Dr. Kotlowitz? Yeah, Dr. Kotlowitz. Played by definite, oh, hey, it's that guy for me, uh, Dennis Botsikaris, who has been in a bunch of stuff, like so many things. Some things multiple times, but we'll talk about that. Uh, Better Call Saul is kind of his most recent big thing that he's been in. Uh, He's also in the movie Batteries Not Included, The Bourne Legacy, uh, and the TV series Law & Order, where he played on no less than three separate occasions different defense attorneys. (laughs) He played three (laughs) differently named defense attorneys, and in some cases for multiple episodes. So it wasn't like it was like, oh, he played a one-off defense attorney here and a one-off. No, he got like two or three episodes as a defense attorney one time, then came back as a one-off, then as another one-off later. It was like, really? Like, keep getting them Law & Order checks, man. Good for you. But there's, he's. I mean, he just looks like a like not not necessarily a greasy lawyer, but a very like businessy like uptight. Oh, he's the perfect like lawyer. he is the perfect like definite like Lauren. If we ever get around to actually doing <laughs> the other podcast we're planning, this is a guy I want to talk about because he's so perfectly suited to yes. do so many different things. He could play the lawyer. He can play the doctor. He can play the scientist. He can play literally anything under the sun. He's so like he's like a chameleon like he can just absorb himself into any role and it's believable and i think that's really cool yeah i just looked up who he was in better call saul and i was like oh shit he looks a little bit he's obviously a little older than looks a little different but um definitely still recognizable but he's got 118 total credits to his name and this is the first of four appearances uh that he makes uh during this storyline but yeah shout out to dr corday for doing the doing the most for her patient absolutely yep Good on you, Lizzie. 
and we will see this gentleman as the episode episode goes on obviously and in future ones so then we go from there to the most delightful bit of 1998 goodness in this episode uh we see anna and chuni working on a gentleman with potential frostbite when they hear this strange beeping going on and they start searching looking around for it and they find underneath one of the little carts they find a tamagotchi and was this what you were telling me I'd be excited about, Daniel? It was because I was I, I was excited about it. I was like, this is the mo- like, I, I don't think there's any more purely 1998 um, like touchstone thing. They could th- that would only be like a cool new thing to talk about in 1998. Like th- it's not like email and laptops and stuff that was more enduring that lasted. A lot. Tamagotchi's had pretty much a 1998 to maybe 2000 that, and that's pushing it lifespan like as a cultural touchstone that everyone knew what it was um i certainly had one i killed it every time i was always bad at taking care of my tamagotchi but i don't know i just thought it was like such a unique and i i as cool of a a thing as i thought it was or as funny of a thing as i thought it was for them to like highlight i did think it was a little sad that this is what Delamico has been reduced to. <laughs> like, I did think it was a yeah. little bit shitty that this is like, oh, how the mighty have fallen. Like, she starts her ER career by like helping put Mark Green back together after he's gotten his ass kicked. And like, less than one season later, she's the Tamagotchi girl. <laughs> like, damn. <laughs> like, that is bleak. Like, I would, I would get it if this wasn't a recurring pattern for stuff they were giving her. Yeah. Like, if it was just, like, she's been in some really major stuff and her character just needs a break, let's give her a Tamagotchi. But this is just a steady decline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it really has been. I mean, it, it. I think other than that episode early in the season where she had the uh, the jogger with cancer, uh, the young guy, she really hasn't had much of yeah. a chance to do anything. And she's really just kind of been set dressing for other people's stuff. And then this yeah. is, like, this is bad. <laughs> I mean, it's... Or, or just it's fun, but it's also kind of beneath her. Or just being mad at Carter. Yeah, like not not to take anything away from the nurses or anything, but this is a this is a nurse storyline. This is a Jerry storyline. Yes, like this is one hundred percent something Jerry should be doing. And, and I know Jerry's on his little hiatus right now. We won't see him again for a little while. But like this is definitely something Jerry should be doing. This is not something that somebody who's in the main credits of the show should be doing. This should have been like Jerry. And then every time somebody comes by the admit desks, he asks a question. Yes. Yeah. It, it was just, it was a fun thing for them to highlight at, from a like nostalgia standpoint, from a, a, a cultural curiosity standpoint. Um, but for something for Anna Delamico, the character to be doing, it sucked. Yeah. It sucked real hard. This also would have been perfect for E-Ray as well. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. E- can you imagine E-Ray and Jerry like working on a Tamagotchi together? Like that, give me that episode. Don't have poor Anna Delamico yeah. doing this fucking scut work here. Like this is also hands up. Who uh, who else uh, forgot their Tamagotchi at home and cried until their mom brought it to school? Uh, Just me. Can't say that I when they were can't little. Say that I did. Are you laughing at me, Lauren? <laughs> <laughs> She's laughing at me. <laughs> Uh, do you? Re- it's just so cute, and I can totally picture little like eight year old Lizzie 
being distraught over a Tamagotchi, and I just love you so much. I didn't want to die, okay? You're, you're perfect, and I love you, and don't ever change. Jesus, woman, I didn't want to. I get it. I was nine by this time. Okay, <laughs> nine-year-old Lizzie, I get it, and I love you, and you're perfect, don't ever change. Yeah. Yeah. Did the same thing, and then my, and then it got stolen out of my locker a couple weeks later. Because we didn't what have nine, locks in our lockers. What at, nine-year-olds have lockers? Wait, we did at our school, at our elementary yeah, we school. We didn't get lockers until middle school. We had, Same. We had cubby yeah. holes right we up until a, fifth grade was over. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we had back, we had our, we put our backpacks in our cubby holes up until middle school. I, we never had those. We always had lockers. The fuck? Chicago Public School, man. I don't know. But either way, it was stolen out of my locker with that didn't, that we weren't allowed to have locks on. And okay. I was forever angry. And then I got Digimon and everything was fine. <laughs> Cool. In any event, it was way better anyway. It's a white little Tamagotchi thing, and this patient supposedly collects them. Uh, they don't really do anything with this patient. Like they don't really like the the, the Tamagotchi thing becomes purely Anna's thing from here on out. Um, but he goes through a little explainer on what it is and how they work. It's almost like they got sponsorship money for it. Like it's almost like this was a sponsored thing. Like because they do go through the trouble of explaining what it is and how it works, and kind of marveling at it. And it's almost like it's like a an infomercial type thing like it's very it feels very forced but yeah we'll we'll circle back to the tamagotchi yeah. saga a little bit later then we go back to genie and scott and they're talking about her trying to draw blood and she says that she has a bet with ann spa she bets that she can do it without him feeling a thing and she offers to cut scott in on the bet if he'll let him draw the if he'll let her draw the blood and she promises he won't feel at all then as as she's drawing the blood he asks not to be talked to like a child with all the chemo and everything else he's been through. Just don't infantilize me. Like, I can handle whatever you're trying to tell me. And as they're talking, all of a sudden he looks back over and he's shocked because he didn't feel the blood draw at all. And as this is happening, um, Spa happens to peek in, like, through the little treatment window and sees this interaction, I think. Just very, very <laughs> sweet moment. And uh, Anna has gotten Cynthia in on the Tamagotchi nonsense while they're trying to figure out what the hell's to do with it. And it's like, oh, it pooped. <laughs> yeah. What's that? It's poop. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. And a woman from uh, Meals on Wheels uh, switching, totally switching gears to a more serious patient. Um, a woman from Meals on Wheels has brought in one of her clients because she seemed confused and didn't seem like she was really eating. Uh, the patient's name is Anne Riley, and who plays Ms. Riley? Uh, she's played by actress Erica Yawn, who appeared in, uh, she did a voice in the movie An American Tale. She also appeared in the movie Pee-wee's Big Adventure and Godfather 2. And she passed away only uh, two years ago, 2019, at the ripe old age of 90. And uh, she thinks it's August when it's January, um, and thinks Carol is someone she knows. So we're, we're not quite sure where this one's going. We think... We think it's positive dementia, Alzheimer's, something like that, but we'll see where it goes. And I am going to put a content warning for this story now. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah. I just, I want to get it out of the way now. Um, when we bring this up a little bit later, there will be some further um, assault trigger warning here because the asshole who assaulted our previous elderly patient has struck again. So just yeah, when we're talking about Miss Riley... You may just want to fast forward a little bit or join us next week. It's not coming up quite yet, but just want to give a heads up. Because I'm so, I was desperate for them to follow up on this storyline from last episode. I was so, that was yeah, the, that was the really one plot it. thread that I really, really, really wanted more of. Thanks. From the Christmas episode. <sighs> Lest we forget. So 
we'll get there. But I just, I, before we forgot, I wanted to bring that content warning yeah. up. So we go back to the school where we see Carter finally uh, corral the spacey. I don't think we mentioned before that the, the big running gag is how cold the rooms are at the school. So he's working with a space heater to uh, try to warm things up. And as he's trying to get that set up, our student, Laura Brown, comes in. And she's coming in kind of wanting to sit in on one of his presentations, but also at the same time kind of flirting a little bit with Carter. Like they're clearly maybe thinking about setting something up with the i really like i swear that they were like maybe thinking about making her a semi-recurring character they they spend too much time establishing this otherwise insignificant character in this episode uh and then do nothing with her but who knows yep and then we have cynthia and mark in the lounge because cynthia brought mark an extra pack of nicorette and they're digging through her purse to try and find it. She dumps it out on the table so they can look for it together. And he picks up her birth control pills and is a little concerned because to him it looks like there should be more pills missing than there are because there's maybe one missing out of the whole pack. Not great, fam. And she insists when she sees his look of panic that her normal pack is at his house and this was an old slash backup pack. Uh, No. Just no. Ay, ay, ay. Um, but uh, Ms. Riley is dehydrated. Carol gets her on an IV and tells her they're going to run some tests. Um, and Doug calls Carol back, and she's giving him shit about talking, about talking to her mom. Yep. And then here is, I'm sorry, fam. Uh, fast forward about three minutes, and we will be done talking about this awful assault. But as they're changing Miss Riley into a gown, um, Carol notices that she has whore written on her and written on her back in black Sharpie. And Carol immediately panics and tells us to get Mark in and asks um, for the Meals on Wheels girl to step outside. And then from there, Mark and Carol stop to discuss Anne with one of the detectives from the prior episode. Uh, Carol says she'll do a rape kit, and Mark asks if they're going to put the public on notice about this assailant, because they need to do something. And just not great. And then we find out Doug has come in and is helping Yosh with clinic patients. All right, and we uh, go up to radiology, where uh, Jeannie has taken Scott to get his ex- stomach x-rayed, and Scott's worried that his tu- that the tumor is back, and... Jeannie asks him about... Jeannie's just trying trying her best to try to dis, distract the kid. Uh, asks him about some positive things, and they start bonding over John Woo movies. Can't say I'm familiar with the works of John Woo. Is he the one... Like, I know of them, but... Like, he, I think he had hard-boiled as the Is one. Is he the one that did Face Off? Was that John Woo? I don't know. I can't don't remember. Know. But if it is, then which that movie's fucking batshit insane, but I think it is him. Um... But I don't know. In any event, like going back to like Scott's characterization, it's very nice that they're putting this much effort into really building Scott or fleshing Scott out as a character so quickly. Like we're learning a lot about this little boy in just his first like what ten minutes of screen time. We've managed to to glean quite a bit of kind of his backstory and stuff. It's it's really nice. Um, but we go from there back to the school where Laura is asking Carter if she can come by the ER to observe sometime. And he says that, well, I've got a shift tonight. You can come and observe tonight, but uh, we should go have dinner first. And she offers to buy. So they go off to eat Thai food together and that which Thai food before an ER shift sounds like the worst decision. Like 
just acid reflux and just mm, bad bad choice there carter maybe just because i don't eat spicy food too much so it sounds i was like what a plate of pad thai seems fine before <laughs> it seems like a good hearty yeah. meal before but <laughs> in any event we go back to the hospital where uh we see romano passing benton in the hallway and he calls him pete uh, trying to you know get on a more personal level with benton here and benton actually kind of makes a point of stopping in the hallway, turning around, getting Romano's attention again, and uh, emphasizes that it should be Peter, not Pete or Petey, as Romano tries to counter with. Strictly Peter. Interesting little standoff there. Yeah. And also we find, uh, we go to our next audio here, and uh, Corday finds out that Romano and the other doctor that she's been recruiting for Allison's surgery, know each other. Hey, Conduit! Uh, Dr. Romano, perfect timing. Robert Romano! What are you uh, doing here? You know each other. You've got quite a protege here. She's convinced me to waive my fee and perform a stylastic medialization on this young woman. Well, there are still a few matters to be ironed out. You want to operate on my patient? Oh, she's ideal for the procedure, yeah. Yeah, and, and unless, of course, there's a problem with that. Great! It'll be a chance for us to put our heads together. <clears throat> well, I've got to get back across town, so you'll be in touch with me. Oh, right? let me walk you out. Dr. Corday, uh, if, if you have a moment, uh, come stay with me. All right, Rocket, good to see you. Take care. Bye. Bye. What's the matter? Shut the door. Was I not clear this morning? What did I say about that procedure? Well, if the doctor's fee is the barrier, I thought... That is not the only barrier. Kotlowitz can't operate here. He doesn't have privileges. And we are sure as hell not going to move that girl to Northwestern for vocal cord surgery with her leg as fragile as it is. Dr. Anspar's willing to grant him temporary privileges. It so happens he's a great fan of Dr. Kotlowitz. Oh, so now you are planning my patient's course of treatment with the chief of staff. Okay? We ran into him in the hallway. This is great news for Allison. Allison is my patient. I will decide what is in her best interest. This surgery is in her best interest. It is an unnecessary trip to the OR! No, it's not. Now, I don't know what's going on between you and Dr. Kotlovitz, and quite frankly, I couldn't give a... Alison wants her voice back, and it's incumbent upon us to find the best way of bringing that about. Are you questioning my commitment to this patient's best interests? No. Good. Because that is not something you want to be doing. Uh, I love Angry yes. Romano. Well, yeah, that's... It's so good. Also, I want to point out here, twice in a row I put Romano, not Rocket. <laughs> on the notes. Oh. So, see, it does not, vary. But not just Angry Romano, though. Like, the Angry Romano where he goes from one minute, like, one second yelling at the top of his lungs to that kind of very, like, seething, ice, ice cold, like, over-enunciating all of his words, kind of just seething anger. That's really, really good. And also, too, but uh, kudos to both of them, though, because Corday is with him every step of the way. Like, Alex Kingston is is matching his intensity. And that moment where she goes, like, I don't know what's going on between two, and I couldn't give up. Like, you really believe that she's just going to, like, roll right into it. And, like, even though we know it's network television, even though it is 10 o'clock at night, they still can't get away with saying fuck. Uh, I would have, like, believed that that was the next word that was going to come out of her mouth. And it's just testament to how good she is. You know how you always make fun of me for like hoping the best in people. Uh, my my fill in the blank was not was not fuck. It was I don't give a rat's ass. I mean either way, like she's so like proper British. Like it would it could have been any number of different yeah. things, but it was just good acting on her part to believe, like make you believe that there was actually something written on the page that she just chose not to say, rather than that it was written on the page yep. for her to stop. 
yeah, she does a good job going with the inertia of the conversation without totally, like, yeah. killing it. And then we have Doug is checking on a clinic patient named Sherry, who is pregnant, and appears to have, I think, Down syndrome is kind of what is implied yeah. here. Development, developmentally disabled in yeah. some form. Yep. Um, and she needs to, she needs help with budgeting her food chart because her food stamps got cut and Carol had helped her kind of build her prenatal grocery list so she would be eating, like, good food for the baby that she could afford. And Doug's just kind of stunned. He's like, well, did they tell you why your stamps got cut? And she shakes her head and he goes, okay, well, let me do some research and we'll get this figured out for you. So in this moment, I think Doug's a little floored by kind of the huge scope of the work that Carol's doing with this clinic and how it's not strictly, you know, give cough mm -hmm. syrup, tell people to come back in a week, that there's all this extra, you know, emotional and mental legwork that she's doing yeah, as it's well. It's two-pronged. Like, she, he's he's seeing the, the, like, crazy lengths that she's going to to serve these patients, and it's also, it also doubles as our, like, the system doesn't work patient. Like, it also doubles as yeah. that kind of aspect. So works really well. Uh, again, back to our favorite patient, uh, shitty, shitty, shitty follow-up patient. Um, Mark and Carol are working on Mrs. Riley's rape kit, and Mrs. Riley asks if the baby will be okay as Mark is examining her, and, um, as, as this exam is happening, she has kind of a moment of clarity on what's happening regarding the exam, not necessarily that she was assaulted, but just all of a sudden she kind of like, this is great acting on the part of this actress because she just kind of like comes to a little and looks at Carol and is like, I'm not having a baby, am I? Mm. And Carol's like, no, but this will be over soon. But we, and we are doctors, you are in a hospital and we're going to take very good care of you. So just, just, uh, it's, they're all doing such a good job with such a shitty storyline. Yeah. And I, and I, I want to, it's, it's very like I want to stress that shitty in this in the context of upsetting. Like it's a yes. well done story. It's very well performed. Story. Yeah, it's incredibly well performed by everybody, but it's just it's shitty to have to talk yeah. about. Yeah. Uh, and again, not to like bemoan the point of last episode, but why couldn't we be just starting this storyline now? Why are we continuing the storyline from the Christmas episode? <laughs> Why did we have to taint the Christmas episode with this upsetting storyline? Why couldn't we have started it here? It's just, uh, but, uh, so we talk about your hard pivots. We go from there, uh, back to the Tamagotchi storyline. <laughs> Cause that needed a second scene. Uh, Cynthia telling Anna that there is a little girl who left her Tamagotchi behind and is there to pick it up. And Anna is devastated to find out that the Tamagotchi is dead because it's a Tamagotchi and they die. Uh, and then Cynthia goes off to break the news to the little girl. What a strange little detour this whole thing was. <laughs> like, why I d why is this it, more than one scene? And why is it Delamico? But it is a... It is a really funny pivot on, like, doctors delivering bad news because Cynthia says to Anna, like, you did the best you could. Yeah. You did everything you could. And then goes and, like, breaks this to the little girl mirroring, like, breaking bad news to a patient. But then it's shattered by Anna slamming the Tamagotchi into the counter to try and bring oh, it I back I forgot to about life. that. You're right. Yeah. I yeah. will say, I will say, because we've been on a run of these lately, I will say, this has been the most tolerable Cynthia episode thus far. Like this is this is the episode where have we really because we've been on we've been on a run of of talking about how much we hate her and how much we're ready for her to go. Oh, okay. I was like, 
I was like, we have not talked about how no, she's no, been no, 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 no. We've been, we've so been talking. We've been, we've been really hammering Cynthia a lot over the last three to four yeah. episodes. So it was nice to actually have an episode where at the end of it, I was like, she was not the worst part of this episode. So good for her. Yeah. Aside from the weird, the scary birth control moment where it looks like maybe she's trying to baby trap mm-hmm. Mark. Um, aside from that one moment, she's actually pretty okay because she's barely in this episode. That's the way to do it. Uh, but then Anspa wants to have come and have a little talk with Jeannie. So let's listen to their conversation. Hello, Jeannie. Dr. Anspa, how are you? I'm well. I want to thank you for your help today. Well, I can imagine what Scott's been through. Can I ask about the abdominal films? There's a partial obstruction. We've admitted him. Could possibly be adhesions from the previous surgery. We're going to wait and see. Scott's faced a lot of adversity already in life. And whatever comes, he can handle it. I like him. Well, I just wanted to say thank you. I love Anspa that he's the civil one mm-hmm. to her. Like that he's the actual person who actually like reaches out more now that Carrie and hers relationship have been has been damaged so yeah. much i like the i like to the because genie sort of pushes back on mark at the beginning she's like are you sure you want me in on this like is anspar gonna be okay with me treating his son you know and everything like that like there's this this right. unspoken tension surrounding her and you can almost feel too when he sees that she's uh gonna be part of it like he's a little bit hesitant at first but once he sees what a positive influence she is and how uh what a good rapport she has with scott like he does just acknowledge that and really, you know, embrace that. And it's it's such good work by both of them here. Yeah, for sure. And I agree on your point about the civility. It's just really nice to see him swallowing his pride and acknowledging like, hey, thanks for doing right by my kid. Okay, Carter and pointless student Laura are walking from the restaurant to the hospital, and oh no, they find a guy in the gutter with barely a pulse. It looks like he's potentially hypothermic. He's been out in the cold. Something's wrong with him. Carter pulls the whole impressive doctor thing. They need to get him to a hospital. And then we have Romano and Lizzie are scrubbing in together very awkwardly, and Rocket gives her permission to schedule the surgery. And she's like, and you and I are okay? And he goes, Lizzie, you and I are a match made in heaven. <clears throat> like, and she's just getting real uncomfortable with him. Like, this is where he starts really with the with the flirting and with the slight, like, like, ki- like aside from asking her to the party last episode, this is really kind of where it starts to pick up. Getting weird. Habitual line stepper. That's our boy. And then Carter brings in the homeless gentleman and asks Chuni for some warning blankets, and he runs the trauma with Laura observing, even though there's really nothing really wrong with this dude as we find out as we find out mark is iffy and mark seems really iffy that laura is there observing and uh and lauren whose films are those almost got through the whole episode and wild willie asks uh, mark to join him for dinner once they're done with that trauma and carter is calling out a bunch of really extreme procedures to warm the guy up and Mark knows what's up, though. Yeah, like, at one point, doesn't he, like, suggest a plural lavage with warming saline mm-hmm. yeah. to, like, warm the guy's core up? And this was what we were talking about earlier with uh, Wild Willie and Mark having different um, kind of policies mm-hmm. 
on, you know, leaving is Waldo is like, just get somebody else to cover it. And Mark's like, no, I'd really rather see this one through. Like, so yeah, just Mark and Mark totally sees through Carter and he's like, you're just trying to impress a hot girl. <laughs> yeah. And then. Whatever. So with Wild Willie leaving there, that does mark his last appearance for this episode, uh, which basically means that his whole uh, his whole uh, return here amounted to like two scenes, two or three scenes, maybe. Uh, and then the that is the last time we will see him until we see him see him but don't hear him at Mark's funeral in season eight. That is uh, so you've heard the last of Wild Willie on the show. Uh, you will see him one more time, but he won't get any speaking parts. So. Damn. Damn. Uh, in any event, we go from there. Uh, the Meals on Wheels girl is uh, talking with Carol. She confides that she's afraid to bring meals to Mrs. Riley's building anymore after what the detectives have told her. Um, just really good, like, touching, kind of upsetting. The, the whole situation is just so upsetting. Um, and you can feel... The the actress here, I think she's, she's playing an Irish woman, but I think the actress is British. Um but she just has this really like soothing kind of cadence in the way she talks and everything. And it, it almost makes it sadder the way she's talking about this with her accent. But, uh, we go from there. We see, uh, Carrie talking with Ellis, uh, who's trying to coerce her into going out for a fancy date. And she's like kind of feeling down, says she would rather stay in, just watch TV at home. Uh, tells Ellis that she's feeling down cause, Mark is the one that got asked to take care of Scott instead of her. And she wonders if wonders yeah. if Anspa forgets that she's a doctor sometimes because sometimes she kind of forgets herself. So I, I do like that this is a nice like in, internalized character dilemma with Carrie that like she is not just this complete bloodthirsty, power hungry egomaniac. You know, she does enjoy yeah. being a doctor. She does enjoy those aspects of it. And she's consciously aware of not sliding too far in the other direction how how management is sucking her yeah. soul out so it's I, I like that quite a bit uh but it turns out that our homeless guy from earlier we find out was wasted not hypothermic although he probably would have been hypothermic if he had just left him out in the snow right. so you know kudos uh and then laura yeah. of course has bailed to go watch benton in the next trauma room because carter's patient's just not that interesting you know what i'm like kind of crafting in my head here as we're like talking about her and everything is Hmm. is this character i'm not saying it's a one-to-one comparison like this is what this other character becomes but it is a little bit like you know when you draw like a rough sketch of something and then you go back later and fill in all the details and flesh it out and make it better is this character the proto lucy like is she the rough draft of what lucy would later become of a student who then comes in has conflict with carter like there's a teased romantic thing like there's a lot of the same beats of lucy who will be here in less than a season. Weirdly, like weirdly, I think of her more as a um spiritual successor to Harper almost in like mm. the way the two of them play off each other and how confident and like how up, how how well she can keep up with him. I can see the argument for both yeah. though. Yeah, but I, so I'm just saying I don't think she's a I don't think she's a one-to-one rough draft for Lucy at all. I see Lucy as much more timid and just unassertive as then Laura is written mm-hmm. here. So fair enough. I know Lucy becomes that way and she gets really strong, but the way Lucy's introduced, I do not see, see the, like she's a med student. That's about the only fair enough. similarity I see. 
So let me let me just let me just shit all over. No, 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 your no, no. I, I, it's just like I said. It's one of those things that has occurred to me as we've been talking about it. Like there's just a lot of those story beats that would later get filled in in much greater detail. You can kind of almost see it as like an outline in my mind. But you are right that there's definitely there's distinct yeah. differences from uh, how Laura is here versus how Lucy is when she's introduced. Like those are two very different characters. She's she's another pretty blonde woman for Carter to mm-hmm. play off of. Oh yeah. no. <laughs> Look how much just, I care. I, I keep wanting um, to figure out why they put so much effort into this one episode character who's not a patient, who's not a romantic interest of Carter's beyond this episode. Like it, it, they put, they seem to put a lot of emphasis and a lot of interest in her as a character that it almost feels like this was the seed of an idea that grew into something bigger later on. That could be. Um, but then from there, we have Yosh and Carol and Randy are talking about the assault and just how horrific it is. Um, Carol stops and thanks doug for coming by to help today and doug applauds her and her work on the clinic and just how much she's really been doing for it and they're talking about their relationship and everything and she just kind of mentions that she's always waiting for the other shoe to drop for something to go wrong spoilers it will next episode well i don't remember what happens so don't (laughs) tell me i want to be surprised but before that, let's listen to Carter and Mark having a little chat in the records room, shall we? Please. Finally got an idea on our ice man. Lives in a shelter over on Price Street. They're going to send a van to pick him up. What happened to your student? I thought she was going to stick around. She went up to go watch Ben operate. I think she got bored. Well, we're not here to entertain, Carter. You know, she seems so interested. I was supposed to inspire those students, but I don't think I did a very good job. Uh-huh. Inspire them? How? Through our our, uh, passion for what we do. Passion? Yeah, you know what I mean. Carter, you come here every day. Sometimes you're really cooking and sometimes you're not. But you're here every day doing your work. One day, you'll look up and maybe uh, 10 years will have passed. It'll be the sum total of what you've done that counts, not the passion. Want to review some of these charts? Yeah. That line just melts my my gay ass <laughs> little heart. Uh yeah. Just so much. I I really thought this was one of Carter's like special lines. Like remember we've had those in the past mm-hmm. of like when Carter goes to leave and I think season eleven, like he he hears all those memories of you know talking to Carol, talking to Benton, yeah. talking to Mark, and I really thought this was going to be one of those lines, and it's not. Like it's, but it, it's definitely one of those lines that gets quoted by fans of the show. Like it's one of those lines you see it's, it, uh, you kind of see it all over Instagram and all over. Like anytime anybody's talking about ER, this is always a clip that comes up. It's like one of the only gifts you can find on Facebook Messenger mm-hmm. too. Is is that why it was so yes. familiar to me? Is because we're always trying to find ER gifts to send to yeah. each other. Yeah. And so the ten years thing. It also reminds me, and this is a completely different. Thing. Um, one of my favorite books, House of Leaves. Hmm. There, it's it's a we. There's a line in it where he says like, "One day you'll have looked up and blah blah blah." It's not nearly as inspirational. It's much more horrifying. The line in there, but that same cadence at the beginning of the sentence. I just I had that muscle reaction like when you when you're consuming something that's close to a loved piece of mm-hmm. media, to where like I got the chills down my spine because it was like it was just close enough at the beginning of that sentence that I was like. Wait a minute. 
No, this isn't House of Leaves. <laughs> I was very confused as to where you were going with that. I will find you the sentence. I will find you the excerpt again, and I'll send it to both of you because you'll look at it and you'll go, Lauren, this is as crazy as you thinking uh, Clancy Brown is discount Triple H. <laughs> it's something that only I will see. Is it on the page with one sentence, or is it on the page, or is it on the page that's indecipherable, or is it on the page where <laughs> the things are go, all the words are in, in a, a spiral? In a, in a spiral. It's. It's an incredibly yes. poignant scene, an incredibly poignant moment. And also, too, it is, um, I think, nice to touch on because we always get caught up in the Carter and Benton dynamic and how mm-hmm. important that is to both of those characters that it's sometimes easy to forget what an instrumental role Green is for Carter in a mentor capacity Um that really ends up hitting home, you know, when green passes away and Carter reads that letter and the whole thing. And like, it's, it, um, it's a, a relationship that doesn't get nearly as much of a, uh, emphasis placed on it as the Carter and Benton one does. Um, but it's equally as important, I think. And can I tell you as somebody who's an up and coming professional, young professional, I really needed to hear those words mm-hmm. this week. That like no doing 110 percent isn't always going to be what counts 10 years right. from now it's going to be that you showed up and put in the work in general yeah and just like i just i needed that with how how work has been lately so it was just it was it was a good feel so we wrap up with um carol is working with mrs riley and oh god they're at you know she's asking like have you been having trouble remembering things like you know how have you been and miss riley says the other night it was so silly i came home and i left my keys in the front door and then she kind of repeats it a few times and you can just see the terror and the anguish melt onto her face as she just says i i left my keys in the front i left my keys in the front door and then she just wails because she suddenly just remembers the assault and like she starts describing it and we are sparing you all that audio clip because we all oh yeah no we I all was never we all have a vague enough picture of what this woman went through and she doesn't get explicit with it but she says enough to where we're like no nobody needs nobody needs that but safe to say it's a very well again well acted scene brilliantly done but we just really wish this story wasn't in here yeah. I mean this this lady this actress here this is uh like incredible like she like that that moment like you said where she's repeating the the phrase over and over again and and then like you said the Mm -hmm. the gravity and the weight of all of it just washes over her all at once and she gasps and like clutches her mouth like covers up her mouth Mm. and that was like oh like it just sent chills up your spine and it was so well done yeah it's so well i mean she is absolutely i mean not again not to take anything away from the actress in the previous episode, but again, that was the Christmas episode. Why did we start it there? Not here. Um, but the other big, the other big difference it, in the fact that it's, you know, the Christmas episode, I care way more about this patient or I feel much more uh, connected to and empathetic with this patient than I did with the patient from the previous episode. I feel like we should have, if, if they're going to have this be an arc, if they're going to insist on putting us through this, they should have had it start with mm-hmm. this woman and have it be this striking, just chilling thing where we don't have all the mm-hmm. pieces and then escalate it to the woman that was in last episode, do that next episode 
where we get more of the horrific details. If that's we don't even yeah. need it, but like they said, definitely put in more details with the last if one. So insist like, on doing it. have it, have it. If they're gonna insist on doing it, have it build to something. You know, like it's 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 almost as horrific getting the reveal on this episode when she's changing into mm-hmm. the gown. But I feel like that would still have some weight, just because you'd be like, "What happened to this little old lady?" Right without even having the baggage from the previous episode. So I would almost flip the order in which these two show up. Still have it be this episode that we mm-hmm. start with, because, oh God, don't do it on the Christmas episode, but yeah. flip them. Hell of a way to end an episode, that's for sure. Uh-huh. A very medium episode yeah. for me, again. It's another, It's honestly, it's another C. Season like, four is just letting us down. Yeah. See, and I, I, I do disagree slightly. So I think it's better than I, I, maybe just because it's in such stark contrast to last episode and last episode was such kind of a tonal mess. Um, the only thing in this episode that I think is superfluous and could have been cut as fun of a little wrinkle as it was for me as a kid of that era, the whole Tamagotchi thing could have gone and nothing would be different. Mm. Um, and the other, the, it's upsetting so- the, the the main the the you know carol with the the elderly patient that is very upsetting and like lauren and i have said many times here like it's well done but very upsetting i still think it adds a lot to the episode and is so this yeah. actress is so yeah. fucking good that that yeah. i think adds a lot to it so for me i mean it's it's not like a an all-time grade or anything i'm not gonna say like it's a 10 out of 10 or anything like that but for me i think it's like a b minus or a solid b yeah, that's about where I'd where I'd put it. Yeah. Continuity was great. Character development's good. We get a we get a nice thing of Doug learning to appreciate all the work Carol's putting yeah. in. We get more Yosh. I would have cut the Tamagotchi thing and given Wild Willie more to do. See, I almost would have cut the Carter and Benton talking to the med students. Yeah, that seemed that was that would be the surproof sur- sur- certainly sur- fuck it. Well, like that would be the extra. <laughs> that would be the extra certainly thing. Certainly the amount that well, I like, would have chopped the amount out of emphasis and... they put on Laura Brown for a character who really goes right. nowhere. That yeah, that's definitely right. something you could have. Cut down. Like you said, have more Wild Willie. Have it be something like Carter brings this patient in, and Wild Willie's like, "What the fuck are you doing?" He just needs a banana. Yeah, pack. I would have. I would have had like have it be a teachable right. moment. I, I would have yeah. had more of the explored more of the mark wild willy um like dichotomy between their approach right now there there should have been some kind of consequence with that there should have been some sort of statement made one way or another that mark's way is the better way and this corporate way is the wrong way but they really don't dig into that at all so it's kind of you're kind of left wanting a little bit more with that so yeah I, i just would have given him a little bit more to do um, but that's also biased because I just really like Michael Ironside. So, yeah, yeah. Can I give our listener there's responses? Plenty, there's plenty of them to give. They had a lot of thoughts on this one. I, I have an extra one that I stole too, and I let this person know I took it, but it's separate from our thread. So Bring can I on. start with that one before I forget? So, um, this was from the ERTV series group. Um, I did let this woman know that I was stealing this because it was such a good reflection on Mark Green that I had to take it. (laughs) So Megan C. posted, My hubs just told me his honest opinion of Mark Green. A sad, middle-aged, 30-year-old man losing his hair. Then he compared it to my friend who is mid-30s losing his hair living at home. And then he compared it to a horse with half its mane gone, half its tail. Not the prettiest thing in the pasture. Then the farmer's going, well, you can still have the horse at half price. Got mommy issues. Still a good horse. Still can perform. (laughs) Jesus. It It was just like, 
we it came up a couple like a week or two ago right after we had just gotten done with the road mm. trip episode and it was just it was so serendipitous that i was like okay before we start forgiving mark i have to read this <laughs> gonna rake him over so, the coals megan thank you for thank you for letting me steal that because it made me laugh so hard that i had to share it with everybody cuz oh my god mark you poor baby but getting on to our actual comments um Katie H says, I really liked this episode. I think it's one of my favorites from season four. The kid who played Scott Anspaugh did a really did a great job portraying a kid that is tired of hospitals and being sick. You could tell that he's just over the whole thing and embarrassed he had to be loaded into a taxi to be taken to the hospital. I really like the chemistry him and Jeannie had from their first interaction. Probably one of my top three from season four. I'm going to wait to get through season four, but I could see how that would definitely be a thought. Um, Angela G says Scott and Jeannie's storyline is so sad both actors do a great job of portraying the relationship and you can tell that Jeannie was meant to work with kids I, I want to see more of Jeannie taking care of children mm. like please um, Michelle K says the Scott Anspaugh storyline was so sad no child should be that resigned to their own fate but I've known it happens with young children with terminal illness Wild Willie is back Though Synergix reminds me of the old HMO management systems, back in the day, HMOs were taking over a lot of hospitals and doctors groups as a way to manage all costs. A lot of this is still seen today with corporate groups who set quotas for patients seen by doctors, limit the time spent to 15 minutes per visit, limiting visits to a specific reason, so you have to make another appointment equals more money, and shutting out non-profitable services for money makers like orthopedics, cardio, plastics, and neurology, it's still happening in my small local hospital and physician groups and why I choose to drive almost two hours one way to get medical attention. Was willing to drive two hours while in labor, though my husband did make it there in an hour and 15 minutes once he realized it wasn't a drill. I think it, I would have snapped at any cop who had pulled us over that night. Oof. Oh boy, I am so glad you made it in time, Michelle. That was a wild ride. Um... But yeah, I can I can definitely see why you'd be willing to put the drive in for that. That's a mess. Yay, privatized health care. Um, Michelle A says the storyline featuring featuring Jeannie and Scott was sad, but it was my favorite storyline from season four. Scott really liked the Green Day song Time of Your Life. To this day, I can't hear that song without thinking about ER. As a huge Green Day fan, definitely one of my favorites, too. It's a good one. Um, and Franner W says this episode has a glorious Clooney chuckle at the beginning when he's chatting with Carol about setting a date. I don't know who enjoyed the chuckle most teenage me back in the day or 42 year old <laughs> me rewatching today. Good, good feedback, everybody. Thank you so much for sharing. I always appreciate getting to read these and getting to share them with everybody on air, on air, on mic. Sure. On my, on mic. What, I don't think we're technically, we're technic I was like, I don't think we're technically not on air. So on mic, but still, I, I appreciate you guys submitting all these. It's always really fun getting to read them. All right, well, that's about going to wrap up our episode for today. Thank you all very much for listening, as always. The show is brought to you in part by our patrons over at patreon.com slash podcast. For only a dollar a month, you can get access to our show notes each week. And for only $5 a month, you can get access to the full season recap episodes, a free sticker featuring our favorite desk clerk, Jerry, and two-week early access to all of our cast and crew interviews. Also, once our stretch goals are met, you'll get access to a monthly bonus show called The Lounge, where we'll talk about whatever's going on for us in our lives and pop culture at that moment, as well as monthly movie reviews, where we watch a movie featuring an ER cast member or pick it apart. We'd also appreciate it if you would follow us on our social media accounts. We are at SetTheToneER on Twitter. We are on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Podcast, And we are at Podcast on Instagram. 
Also be sure to check out the official Saying the Tone community on Facebook. Our theme music is provided to us by Andrew M. Edwards and Daniel. Where can folks find you at? They can find me on Instagram at dan.u, that is y-o-u dot e-l. They can also find me on my other podcast, The Popular Court, with my co-host Jake Terrell, where we do a different pop culture topic each episode and put it through a little mock trial. And Laura, where can folks find you at? Folks can find me begging for listeners to talk to me about their favorite Stephen King novels on my personal Twitter at lowbob92345. And you can find me on Twitter as well. I am at randomgamer, that's J-A-M-3-R, as well as on the Popular Quartz YouTube channel doing a Let's Play of of the newly released Mass Effect Legendary Edition from now until the end of time. Uh, new episodes of that are out every Friday, and you can find those videos and more at youtube.com slash thepopularcourt. Thanks again, everyone, very much for listening. Please join us again next time. Have a great week. Thank you.